Hey there, this is Kevin Scott. I'm the writer of Dooku Jedi Lost, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Hello there. A Utini Podcast Network production. Long have I waited. Episode 212, The High Republic Cataclysm Roundtable. This is where the fun begins. On this episode, class is in session with the Utini Academy. You must unlearn what you have learned. And the Utini crew discusses Star Wars The High Republic Cataclysm novel by Lydia Kang. Your move. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Living Force at Utini Network podcast. Tonight, all about the High Republic Cataclysm. That's right, it is another roundtable episode, and we are going all in for the latest High Republic entry. Um... I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to talk all about the final adult novel of Phase 2 is the full casting crew. That's right, everybody is back, starting off with Dr. Corey Helton. What's up, What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up? (laughs) How are you guys doing? Stoked to be here to talk about this book. Uh, It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm ready. Charles is ready. You ready, Charles? Charles is ready. That is, is of course, Dr. Oh, my Miami Heat are in round two of the NBA playoffs. Charles Hankel. Hello. All right, great. Charles is here. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. So. <laughs> you got me. It only took 212 episodes, but you got me, buddy. Um, happy to have you. Happy to be here, of course, though, with the man who has all the buttons, who has all the fixes for all the problems, both in life and in tech. It's Wes Jenkins. Happy Monday, buddy. Hey, what's going on, everyone? <laughs> Wes, I think your gain, there's something wrong with your gain. Yeah, yeah, your, your energy is low, but it has to be a tech issue because you're excited to be here. You're full of life and energy, right? Right? Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this. I am... Sincerely apologize. Thank you very much for you that have stuck stuck through the technical difficulties that was going on. Um, Corey wanted me to put all these different kind of software on my computer to I test out to do this weekend, this. and I tried. <laughs> nothing to do with this. You know, to go around through it, but everything's nothing is jiving today. Um, but thanks for sticking around. I think I got it figured figured out. So if it's like if we're creeping along, like frames wise, bit rate wise, too bad. You know. <laughs> Sorry. We'll find out. <laughs> Just leave uh, the stream and listen to the recording. We don't care about you, live stream people. It's not true. Well, wow, that's why Corey's never true. here. That's why Corey's off the show. We're apologize, <laughs> live streamers. We love you. We'll trade that in a heartbeat. Um, but to everyone watching and listening, truly, thank you so much. Um, we love doing these roundtable episodes. We're excited for a great one. A special thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash utini. Um, you guys have been the life of Utini since we started here, and we got a ton of people that are making great content for you behind the scenes. There's some Patreon-exclusive shows being recorded. There's a little bit of a bonus thing recorded by me that's coming out later this month. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, to join the party over there, head over to patreon.com slash Utini. Also, quick shout-out to the folks that have been playing playing signing up for the Utini Academy over at utini.com slash academy. That is launching officially this Thursday, May the 4th. Uh, we are very excited. Of course, Thursday is going to bring a lot of things from Young Jedi Adventures to Visions Season 2 to the mugs on Shop Disney. But most importantly, it's bringing the Utini Academy 
So make sure to head over there to make to get your sign up to make sure you can get uh, the course from the second that it drops. And again, to all of you that have signed up already, thank you so much. Uh, we're so excited to see for you to see what we've been working on. But next week, we're going to go over what happened on May the 4th because this week, it is all about that roundtable, baby. It is time for the Higher Public Cataclysm, which, quick note, is going to be succeeded by... The High Republic Path of Vengeance, coming out tomorrow on May 2nd. The only plug I'll give before we get into this roundtable is this. Tomorrow, Path of Vengeance will be released worldwide, both wherever you get your books and on Audible for audiobook reasons. Our review will go up on the site as well as a video review. I also got to interview Kevin Scott about the book. We're currently working on that edit and expect it to be out by the time you're hearing this episode. So make sure to listen to me and Kevin talk, spoiler-free, all about Path of Vengeance. It's like our third or fourth time talking to Kev. He remains the best, and stay tuned for our thoughts on the next High Republic book that closes out Phase 2. But before that, we're going to talk about Cataclysm. Charles Hankel is back in the seat for this one. It is a classic Utini Roundtable. Full spoilers from here on out for the High Republic Cataclysm. So, Stephanie, in the chat, I know you haven't read it yet. Take a break. Everyone else, if you haven't read the book, pause here. Go finish up. But without further ado, Charles... Did it in five minutes for you, buddy. Let's talk some cataclysm. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, we're going to give you one more minute to get out of here in case you want to be spoiled. You might end up like one of the Jedi in this book, but I'm not going to say who yet. Who? Yet. All right, let's jump right in with a plot synopsis that Eric is going to help me out with. But right from the top, here we go. The path of the open hand, led by the mother, continues to wreak havoc on the galaxy. The mother sends Beneau a devout follower of the path to stage yet another incident between Irem and Arano to rekindle their forever war. She also orders him to break Axel Greylark out of prison. Beno is frustrated by the mother's focus on Axel, but obliges. Chancellors Kion Greylark and Orlin Malo continue to deal with fallout from Axel's treachery on Irem. Malo suggests giving Axel a shortened sentence in a low-security rehab facility, but Kion declines. Just then, word gets out that the peace talks on Jeddah have failed. Yoda and Chancellor Greylark send Jedi to Dalna to further investigate the path, which has been uh, imp- implemented in the failed proceedings. Uh, Creighton's son, Ada Forte, and Yaddle all head there. Beno successfully sparks another battle between Irem and Arano. The communications buoys between the planets are destroyed in the ensuing battle, effectively leaving the warring planets cut off from the rest of the galaxy. Gelen Atai and Orin Darga arrive on Pipir to question Axel more about the path but they find him very sick from the atmosphere on the prison planet. Axel attempts to apologize to Gela, but she rebukes him. Beno continues his crime spree by sabotaging a communications beacon near the prison. Rather than relaying a message from the Chancellor's keeping Axel in prison, he sends an altered message demanding Axel be brought to Coruscant. Gela and Orin agree to take him, however, Beno attacks the transport and frees Axel. It's revealed that the two are actually old friends, and Axel willingly goes with the path once again, betraying Gela. Yaddle, Creighton, and Ada all meet up on Dalna, obtain path disguises, and infiltrate the compound. It is eerily quiet as the majority of the path is gathering in the underground tunnels. Jedi Master Charo Roy and his Padawan Enya Keen escort Ziri and Fantu to Dalna as part of a delegation aimed at peace talks with the path. They are unaware that Creighton, Ada, and Yaddle are also there. Before long, Creighton and Ada witness a force-sensitive man dragged into a room where he is killed by an unknown malevolence that renders him nothing but a pile of ash. Axel is brought before the mother, who demands that he lure his mother to Dalna so that the path can control her and thereby the galaxy. 
Gellin Oren track Axel Denona and find him sending a holo to his mother. They try to stop him, but Beno arrives as well, and a fight ensues that leaves Oren dead and Gella captured. Chancellor Greylark receives Axel's message and decides that she will go to Dalna in a last effort to save her son. However, suspecting the path's treachery, she relinquishes her position as Chancellor before doing so. The mother is furious to learn this news and orders Beno to kill Kyung upon her arrival. Creighton and Ada hurry to escape the path compound, but they are discovered, and a fight breaks out that also lures in Ziri, Fantu, Charles, I mean, Charil, Roy, and Enyakin. E. It, becomes, <laughs> it becomes clear that the path was laying a trap for the Jedi all along. Heavily armed path members begin flooding out of the cave network, joined by enforcer droids. The Jedi attempt to flee, but their ship is immediately shot down. They come for help on a broad frequency, realizing they are going to have to fight their way out. Ziri and Fantu manage to escape on an old starfighter and send word back to their planets for help. Fortunately, Chancellor Malo has gotten the communication buoys back online just in time to receive their message. When Axel refuses to kill a path member that won't join the fight, Beno turns on him. An explosion breaks up their scuffle, leaving Axel unconscious. Beno leaves him for dead. When Axel awakens, he finally sees the path for what it is. He has a change of heart and goes to free Gela from her captivity. Ex-Chancellor Kyong Greylark arrives on Dalna and finds Axel and Gela. Kyung and Axel reach an understanding and go join the fight. Jedi begin to fall left and right, some from the swarming path members, but others to the Nameless, which have been released onto the battlefield. Yoda arrives on Dalna with additional Jedi, as well as Irami and Aroni reinforcements. Axel and Gela find Beno deep in the caves, plotting with others who have begun to refer to themselves as the Path of the Closed Fist. Beno tries to influence Axel one last time, but Axel resists and Beno ends up dead, poisoned by his own hand. Suddenly, explosions rock the caverns. Axel and Gela try to escape, but the caves collapse around them as they near the exit. Yoda and Yaddle sense Gela and Axel in distress. They manage to locate and pull them from the muddy depths just in time. Gela awakens in the medical bay of a Republic frigate. Axel is there along with Kyung. Axel explains that he is being transported to Coruscant to serve the rest of his prison sentence. Kyung walks Axel to his shuttle and they embrace, finally having reached an understanding. On Coruscant, the Jedi hold a ceremony in honor of the fallen Jedi, including Oren Darga, Ada Fort, and Charl and Charo Roy. And Yakin becomes Creighton's Padawan, but keeps Master Roy's lightsaber for herself. Creighton and Yoda meet in the archives and secretly discuss the nameless. They decide they must not let word of the threat get out until they learn more about it. There is a second ceremony on the moon of Irem and Arono, where they celebrate the end of the Forever War. The path has fled Dolna and Jeddah and disappeared. Irem and Arano have become even more entwined in the Republic with the opening of a hyperspace lane in the Hetzel system, the very system where the Great Disaster will eventually strike. Boom. All right. That's everything that happened. Lots of darkness and death and destruction, and that's why it was called Cataclysm. But let's take a moment Mm -hmm. to reflect. I want y'all to go around and tell me, how did you experience this book, audio, you know, Hardcover or hard copy, a little bit of both. What major takeaways did you get from this experience? And what new value did this book bring to the High Republic Initiative? Ooh, all good. Um, I'll start with my, I I had a weird experience reading this one because I started digitally and then I transferred to hardcover and then I finished with audio. So I I, I jumped all over the place with this one just based on timing. Um, and I, as you guys know, I've said it many times, I am a huge fan of the physical book, audiobook hybrid. Um, it helps you get through books super fast. And also then you get to hear how things are pronounced, uh, but also see how they're spelled. So it's marriage of both worlds. I like that a lot. My major takeaway, uh, number one, I'm going to start off, uh, 
by just saying this is the best book of Phase 2 for me uh, by a lot. I had a great time with it. It finally made the path and the nameless the threats that we were told they were, I think. Uh, for me, previously, I've I've seen things and they've said things in each book. I'm like, okay, I, I see what you're doing, but it's the whole show-don't-tell thing, right? The actual threat and fear that the fanatics of the path and eventually the closed hand give here and the nameless actually rising to their station as fearsome beasts here, as we saw in Phase 1, I think really made them impactful in that way. And for the higher public as a whole, this got the closest to having me realize kind of why we needed to go back, if only to understand the threat that we saw in phase one. Now, obviously, as we said in the synopsis, we didn't get the answers for phase one. I don't think we're going to get those until phase three. And I, and I think I'm finally okay with that because I'm realizing if we got all the answers for why we went back now, then phase three would lose a little mystery, if that makes sense. But all in all, this was the first book in the phase that really made me feel it was worth it and for a, from a technical point of view it made me really excited to get Lydia Kang into Star Wars because I think she fits the aesthetic of the universe very very well yeah, yeah. I um, I completely agree with that it it helped me get more into um, phase two um, so before I start uh, I listened to this audiobook only um, <clears throat> it was like Eric said, it helps you understand how you pronounce some of the characters' names. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, I want to, I mean, big shout out to um, to Mark Thompson overall, but his rendition of Yaddle was yeah. super good. It was so it's, good. It's exactly what I thought Yaddle would sound like, kind of like an an elderly uh, woman, like, um, like almost like a teacher, <clears throat> obviously because she's she teaches yeah. young Jedi, but, but in this she book was, especially. She was, <laughs> yeah, she was very, she was very, very um, uh, elaborated by uh, Mark Thompson. He did such a good job. It didn't even sound like Mark Thompson. But he's, that's why he's so good. But anyways, um, so getting into the book, I really like this book. I thought that um, I thought that some of the the back and forth with uh, going from planet to planet with Ziri and then going from the various Jedi that showed up, I thought that was really great. Um, what this book really did for me was. It gave me, it gave me a a part because in um, in phase one we only got to the path of the open hand, which was just like a cult group. But where do they go bad? We were talking about where does this group go bad? How do they turn into the Nile? So this is the first wave of here's where these guys from go start from path of the open hand, path of closed fist, mm-hmm. and then they start actually killing people. People start <laughs> dying. So this is where. I started getting really into phase two of the High Republic. When people start dying. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I really <laughs> and Lydia Kane did a great job with the writing too, because you can't I couldn't really appreciate it enough to when I if I read it, but as I'm listening to it, I can hear um some of the, the scenery and everything that she writes about and not just hearing it in the background as like audio effects and like an audio drama. But she wrote the actual like scenery. She wrote the um, the battle sequences, which are really good. Um, so, and then not like you said, Eric, not actually giving away a, too much mm-hmm. to take away from Phase Three. Um, I thought that was that was genius, and it kind of gave us enough to where you know she, they, I don't think they ever said that the people that perished in this book were husks. Yeah, they were just they were just ash. And yeah, did, they were just didn't know what was going on. 
They were very questionable what was going on, um, but I do have a qualm about that. We'll come up later, but um, overall, I thought this was a really great book. I, I enjoyed it. A little long, but you know, if you got time, read an hour a day. Yeah, keeps the Star Wars here at bay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at bay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with all those types of things. I started with audio. I finished via Kindle. Um, audiobook is super long. I will back up that it was really, really long. I think the audio was like 14 hours or something like that, at least. It was a longer audiobook, uh, which is, I guess that was unexpected. But um, yeah, the story moved forward in a positive way, I think. Uh, I think this was the book that has finally sort of ignited this phase for me a little bit. I think the action that happens kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat. It was good. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you know, you, you guys know that I've been a little vocal about not enjoying this phase as much as as some folks. So, you know, it's it's fresh to me to get a a story that kind of sucks you in. So um, it was good. It was good. Yeah. And I think one I want to jump on one thing I think Wes touched on uh, in regards to the writing, too, that I think might have helped all of us. Because I think we were all in, in our like our High Republic Report Card episode and some other roundtables, especially. We talked about how there's like a lot of characters, but they didn't necessarily all hit with us. And they, they were a little hard to decipher, I think, in this phase. And I think one thing Lydia Kang did very well was I felt like all, even her new characters, they all felt different. Like, they all felt like, oh, this if this person is talking, even if I'm not on audio, I can tell who this is, who this is, who this is, uh, because of the way she wrote. Mm-hmm. And with the amount of characters that are in this cast, I think that's actually very hard to do in something that some of the previous books in this phase had issues <laughs> with. So I, I really want to commend her on that as far as clarity goes. I think that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with pretty much everything you guys said. I think this is definitely the best book of phase two. Phase two is still head and shoulders below phase one in my mind, but we're moving in the right Direction. Head and shoulders below. So it's it's. Is it another head below the head of phase one? If it's yes, head and shoulders plus the below? shoulders as well. Okay, plus, so it's head. plus shoulders as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. I just want to make head, sure I got the head visual. and shoulders. So it's, yeah, exactly. Knees and toes. It's knee, it's, knees and toes oh, yeah, below. Knees and, to, head. knees and toes as well. Um, it's connected to the hip bone. Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Idiot. <laughs> all right. So. I didn't go to medical school. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Jeez. So all that said, let's just jump <laughs> right into some. Big questions here, guys. Take this conversation however you want. Remember, these are a lot less structured than they used to be. So take it wherever you want. But the first thing I want to know is the High Republic authors, I think as a whole, have never been shy to kill off major characters, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, mm-hmm. Loden Great Storm. And this <laughs> book really was no exception to that. There were actually a fair number of deaths, um, relatively major Jedi, at least for this phase. Did you find yourself impacted by these deaths in the same way that you were in phase one? And if so, why? If not, why not? And I think this gets right back to the point that you were just making a little bit, Eric, about the clarity of the characters themselves. Nope, I didn't care about any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. I had one big one. Can I tell you who okay, it was? Who? And I wonder Orin. if you guys have it. It was Orin. It was? I think I agree with you. It was, yeah. I thought that he he was like that guy that comes in, instantly likable, instantly great, and then he goes and I'm like, oh no, and then like Ada died, who we've technically known for quite a bit, and I was like, oh no, she was really nice. 
Is this like the uh, top? Oh. Is this like the Top Gear? Like, oh no! Anyway, yeah. <laughs> the, a- the Ada yeah. thing was a little bit strange to me. I will say because it was like I thought she died at the end of that chapter when it was like she said like I'll always be with you or something. Oh, yeah. and then like she and, and, and then she going down right. Yeah, and then yeah. she was just like I'll always be with you. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, she's dead. And then the next chapter, and I was also like, with you. she's still. <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm then still the, next, the next chapter started, and they're like, Ada is actually still alive, but she's barely breathing. And then the next thing you know, it's a ceremony. You're like, yeah, Ada died. And I was like, what? Dude? Whoa. Like, yeah, that was what confused me. Yeah. So Ada was the one that got me. Yeah. So I was, I was like, oh, because she laid down next to Master Creighton's son, right? Yeah. And was just done. And I was like, yeah. oh, so they both died. And no. then couple like you know pages later or whatever it's like Creighton's son is like oh i'm kind of hurt yeah but i'm okay I'm like you're alive i thought you were dead How'd dude you make it? Like, she wrote she wrote it like they both died and so yeah. i was just like broken femur rough, broken yeah femur. Well, broken femur well, kill me it, well, <laughs> if you break my femur you might as well kill me well and it's <laughs> fascinating because because for those that may not have have listened to my, my interview with lydia kang lydia kang is a, 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 a physician she's she's an actual doctor practicing still and one of her jobs is being a medical consultant to her friends that write fiction. So she's like always oh. like they ask her, "Hi, is there a type of poison or a type of injury that can happen to my character where they can run away in three days but they're still hurt, or they're gonna die in two months?" Like that's part of her job. And I, <laughs> I feel like I saw some of that in the deaths where like she got really specific about what was going on and how they could work. And I want to ask Corey Charles, did you guys see any of that medically different or did, is it still just Star Wars medicine and Star Wars medicine? And why can't y'all contract out and do that yourself? Well, there's <laughs> there's the winning question. I don't think I don't think anything jumped out to me and was like this is ridiculous. This would never happen. It when I'm commenting on Ada Forte's that it just felt like whiplash. It was like she's dead, she's yeah. alive, she's dead. Yeah. And um but no, the, so there's actually a couple of things in the Easter eggs, and, and I can just comment on a couple of, the, of these now and say this time later. Page 376, she said that uh, Gela had a chemical pneumonitis, Corey. I was like, oh that's the. I never thought I would see the words <laughs> chemical pneumonitis in a Star Wars book. There was that's also impressive. a moment. <clears throat> um, wait, wait, wait. What is that? It's like it's pneumonia from it's kind of like bleach. Okay, okay, great. It's bleach pneumonia. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Also, a great band name, bleach pneumonia. Bleach pneumonia. I like that. Um, Also, chemical pneumonitis is pretty good as well. There was another thing on page three thirteen where Axel got that uh, he got that shrapnel stuck in his chest, right? Mm -hmm. And I have a quick quote here. He says, like, he felt it. The the piece of metal still impaled right through his shirt in the thick tunic overtop. He noted the sticky blood that congealed around it. He took three quick, successive, shallow breaths and pulled. He tried not to utter a sound, but it was impossible. The pain was awful, but the piece of shrapnel was finally out. He pressed his hand over the wound, feeling new, warm blood there. Hopefully, he would live. And when I read this, I was like, PSA... Do not do that ever. If something's yep. stuck in you, you leave it in because it is helping to staunch the bleeding. And then, like four pages later, Gela was like, "You know, you're not supposed to do that." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> thank yes, you. Gela." So yes, I think you we could, all thought that tell. reading that. Yeah, part. yeah. We're reading that part. We're like, "What is he doing?" And she's like, "Wait for it. Wait yeah. for it." Yeah, um, there was there was a strain of Clydobacter too that she named Vibrio, which is a real life bacteria that causes illness. Like there were little things I feel like as a yeah. doctor reading this that were like little kind of almost Easter eggs within Easter yeah. eggs. 
Yeah. I, I do want to say one thing to your point, Charles, too, about, about the death and injuries as a whole. I do feel like as opposed to some of the previous books in this phase, even if some of the characters didn't hit me as hard as some phase one death, things like that, the idea of death and the weight of death as a concept, I think, was much more uh, tangible in this book. I think yeah, that, I think that the is, idea of loss. That is reflective of someone who has actually helped people with de- in, in, a, in death situations. Mm. Like I feel like only, maybe it's a little arrogant sounding, but only no. physicians or other people who have actually been with people who are sick and dying can actually really attest to that. And I think that is true that uh, that was definitely present in this. And this is such a far... Like these seem like small touches, but like just having a concept of what death is like and the emotional toll that that has is 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 really reflective in the writing. And this is such a far and away ahead of like like space sickness. What was that that we got a couple a couple like last year? Oh, year two uh, ago, uh, or, was with the pilots, hyperspace hyper sickness hyper or something sickness, goofy. Yeah. It was just like okay, well, let's medically explain it. It was just like <laughs> it was just it was like voodoo magic, basically. So yeah. I can definitely appreciate That's that. A great and, point. and I, if I hadn't known that she was a doctor already, I, I certainly would have thought that she either had family that was or was adjacent mm-hmm. to the medical field, or maybe she had a career in that early. So yeah, it's really reflective there, and, and I think it makes it good i mean i think i feel like a lot of star wars writing has been kind of bad at some of the medicine so it's cool to see it really for some reason we're losing her i know and and to be clear (laughs) nobody cares about this except for doctors so (laughs) she did this for you i know space sickness is like people like come on okay that sounds pretty good we're being charles just like what the hell are you talking about i know it's the bins exactly she's lost the will to live i know yeah, I believe you. But that was a, that was technically a real thing too. We talked about yeah. that. Yeah. And hey, again, fun, fun plug. I did ask, I did ask Lydia King about that, about what she thinks about Padme. Takatsubo, so. close that interview. Oh, oh. Nice. Well, <laughs> let's move on from death and destruction and just talk about oh, familial why? trauma. Oh. Um, yeah, okay, good, good. Lighten it up. Oh, the, the last thing I wanted to say about yeah. death and destruction, I, I for sure thought Fantu was dead, by the way, when he got stabbed in the ribs. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Dude, I was like, oh, man, he is, he's, he's a goner. That's that's the end of yeah. Fantu. He's he's fan done. Right. <laughs> he's fan. Don't know where I went with fan that. Yeah, one? no, I can't make fan, it work. Uh, fan done is what we got. <laughs> fan too bad. That the uh, she did, okay. she did make it bad. seem like a lot of lethal blows <clears throat> actually would kill these characters, but they yep. – Somehow, you know, with the with the will to live, like they make it sound like Padme couldn't shrug it off, but you know, I don't know. Okay. I mean, Vader, man, that's tough stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah, he had no business being alive. But light, light choking—that's what he was. That's what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. hey, it kills some people. Other people, it gives you the will to survive, man. I don't know. Whatever you're into, you know. Oh Lord! All right, let's round tables. Let's talk about that familial <laughs> trauma here for a second. And I just want to know straight up because so much of this book revolved around Kyung and Axel's relationship, right? It was broken. It's been broken. We knew that, but they kind of found some new life in this book. They kind of came together, came to an understanding. And I'm curious, as chancellor or once chancellor, did Kyung Greylark do the right thing choosing her son over the rest of the galaxy? That's a good question. <laughs> I think she was lucky there was another chancellor waiting. Um, yeah, I mean, well, not lucky, but I mean, that ultimately, helps. Ultimately, like, I 
I don't really know that Axel's redeemable at this point, frankly. I, I mean, I know that I know that like mm-hmm. like Star Wars has this rich history of like it doesn't matter how many younglings you slaughter, like you're redeemable. It's like, listen, man, Vader just hugged Luke and said that. No, he was right. Like he's not actually redeemed. Let's be clear. <laughs> like it doesn't make <laughs> he up dies, all the like, crap oh, that well, he did. Yeah, yeah, look what look at Leia that scene in <clears throat> Princess and the Scoundrel, right? I mean, yeah. like, when are we gonna say that? Yeah, yeah you don't have yeah. to forgive them. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I'm firmly in the camp of what the hell is she doing? Uh, like with with mm-hmm. this. I mean, like when in fact when when it was first brought up earlier in the book that. Uh, you know the the other chancellor, like and some other politicians, I guess they didn't really elaborate mm-hmm. who that was. Like they wanted to like put him in a different facility, and so I'm like, why? Like, why does he get special treatment? This is just yep. rich people don't suffer consequences. Problem, like yeah. that's not justice, yeah. and that made me mad. So I was like, oh, uh, guys, Corey learned that rich people don't suffer consequences today. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this is the. The last instance that we see of a dual chancellorship. I think it this is. is where probably. They, That's my hot take. I probably. think so. This is where the probably a dis- single chancellor. It was a disaster. The family drama it messed it all yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I, I, here, I think that I, I agree with you guys that I, I'm I'm not the biggest Axel fan as far as his redemption. I think he's an interesting character device, but I, do I don't too. really care about him like being redeemed and becoming a good guy necessarily. I do think, though, that Kyong's I guess uh, – you know how you guys say you can tell that Lydia Kang knows medicine? I think mm-hmm. reading this, I could tell that, oh, you're a parent. Because I think the way she wrote Kyong being like, you know what? My son's kind of a shit. But <laughs> I know <laughs> I will do whatever I need to do to help him. And I – for that, I need to professionally stay away and not make myself culpable. I think that was very earnest uh, for a person that has a child that's like, you know what? Here's the deal. It's probably not a great idea. For me to do this, but I can't not protect my son. So, too bad. And I'm like, I, so I think it, it rang true to me for Kyung to do it, even if I, on a larger scale, didn't agree with the decision. I think that's absolutely what she had to do in the moment. And I thought it was written very well. Yeah. Yeah. And she was giving up a lot, right? She Ooh, gave yeah. up the president of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ultimate power, as it were. <laughs> Why, for? Why did she do that? Why did she do that? <laughs> yeah. So she couldn't be used as as a pawn, I think, because she's yeah. like they're gonna if they capture me, I will do whatever it takes to get Axel back. And now I'm I'm a civilian, so who cares? Sibby. There was also an out there where after, you know the after the end came, some people died, came back. They asked her, "Hey, do you want to come back to be a chancellor?" If she just said yes, I'd have been like, "No way, yeah, no yeah, way, don't do that." Or she no, could she didn't have to her. actually relinquish the chancellorship. She could have just. Yeah. Said she did and then showed up and Or the been. government could have just functioned correctly and been like, Listen In Star Wars? She's gone <laughs> now. We have this other guy. He's in charge now. Everybody go with nope, that? Too bad. Everybody go with everybody, that. Everybody, everybody right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I guess they don't have a vice <laughs> chancellor who like steps up nope. in the event that the chancellor steps down. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I, I think is the whole vibe of the Coast, but yeah, I, I think it is interesting if this is the event. That it goes to just one, which I, I, I agree with you guys. I think, I think this is it. I don't think we go back to two historically, but hey, who knows? Yeah, um, I think this is a hell of a way to get out of it. Yeah. Well, there was there was a quote from 
Kyung early on in the book, page 145, and she's thinking about Axel, and she says she'd wanted him to stay in prison. Perhaps she was a terrible mother, but morality and motherhood were not supposed to be at odds. Often she'd heard young parents cooing their little ones, murmuring, I would do anything for my child. Anything. Kyung Greylark, however, could not. In a position like hers, where millions of beings could be affected by her decisions, such a murmuring could never be spoken. Kyung loved Axel with all her heart could bequeath upon him, but she would never put others in danger for the comfort of her child. And when I, I wrote that quote, because I was, I was really kind of taken aback by it, especially morality and motherhood being at odds, right? And yeah. yet she does exactly what she says she couldn't do. I don't know, 150 pages later, she, she does put the hundreds or thousands or, I don't know, millions of beings of the galaxy behind the needs of her son who has proven that he kind of doesn't deserve any of it. So I do question it. I'm not a parent, right? I would go, I would do a lot for my dog, Coda, but I still question this decision. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I'd do more for your dog, Coda, too, I think. I think I've met Coda. Coda's awesome. He's he's wonderful. I'd I'd kill a lot of people for Coda, (laughs) Well, we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> let's talk. Okay, so how how does this compare to Andor with Mon Mothma and her daughter? Mm. Oh, that's her, her daughter. Her <laughs> daughter. So does Axel in harm's way. In harm's way to make sure that she gets the funding that she needs. Yeah. For the, no. Yeah. Her daughter point. sucks way harder. I think. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. That's a that's an excellent analogy, actually, Wes. No, think, it's actually uh, legit. Very good, Wes. I think. Uh, you know, I think Mon Mothma recognized a lost cause, and for some reason, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's some with reason, dad, who also reason, sucks. She, try again. Her daughter did less; like she just sat at the table with creepy pigtails and recited, like I don't know, a code cult over language? and over. Again. Yeah, I mean, she was in a she cult, but like, so was the Mandalorian. I mean, we've all been young. We were all young ones. Um, okay. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think that Mon Mothma made the other decision we don't really know the how things play out with axel and and kyong by the end of right. this but we know that what my Mothba did you know help the galaxy get to a better place so it's easy to say that was the right decision for her at the time right but we'll right. see and i think that you know Corey, you were mentioning earlier axel was one of the most interesting characters right yeah. in phase two and it was because he was chaos right that was his nickname right. was chaos and he flipped the script a bunch of times. Even in this book, he seemed to kind of change his allegiances. But it seems that now he has officially chosen a side, right? Yeah, Unless, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say. Wait, when you say now, do you mean at no. the end of the book, Charles? Because now can mean a lot of things for Axe. At, at the end of the book, I think he yeah, seems no, I, to have firmly chosen a side. And we all yeah. found him so compelling because he didn't do that. So at this point, do you still feel invested in his story? I'm. Uh, that's a good question. I'm a little done with Axel. I think at this point. I mean, I think I was a little done with Axel when they made him jump ship at the, in the last book, right? Like when he killed he killed that guy and he was going to murder all those people. I was just like, wow, who is this guy? He's like clearly off the deep end now. So yeah. like, I think we're firmly. I'm firmly in the side of like uh, it's time for Axel to face the consequences and and we need to be done mm-hmm. with Axel. I think. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that when I first saw Axel, 
when I, when I first saw Axel hanging out, uh, when I when I read him and, and listened to his intro for the first time in Convergence, I remember noting this is kind of like a, a slightly sexier, more mischievous Han Solo type. Like he's in a cantina, he's gambling, he's flirting, he's going back and forth. Who knows where he's going to go? But in Star Wars, those characters work because eventually they betray you once, and then oh, but they're coming back, right? And and for me, Axel. He did that too many times. For me, I think literarily, I think, like, it, it was written fine in both books for what they had to do with him. But he just flip-flops so many times. And I'm like, just go to – you got, You need to be in prison for a bit. Like, you you don't actually just get clemency. And I also don't really need to see the prison time anymore. Like, rending phase two, I don't need to know really what happens to Axel Greylark once we get to phase three. Like, I think he, he did what he had to do in the books – um, and I think it was just kind of like, um, like in jokes, when you do the rule of three, if you did something funny three times, then you go to fourth time, it loses its efficiency in a fifth time. Mm. I feel like yeah. we just, we just, we, we, it was too many, too many flops. So by the end of it, you're like, okay, sure. Go to prison. Like <laughs> you made yeah. your mom's life real hard, buddy. That's, That's not where cool. I'm at. hundred uh, percent. Does he still have useful information on the mother though? Oh, for sure. I don't, do I they, don't know if he does I think though. so. I don't know I don't, if he does. I don't know. It's not really been implied that anybody knows really. He, anything he about didn't the even know about like what the nameless were, and he like saw one. Like there was yeah, a, point a point at the end of that's the book, and point. he was just like, "Yeah, Benosa, they have some kind of weapon against the Jedi." And I was like, "Bro, you were in the room with one. Like you saw it in the <laughs> hall. Y'all passed each other Bro, in the hallway like dog. and gave each other the what's up. Like nah. <laughs> yeah. Like what do you mean, freaky dog? Hey, 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 nameless. Hey, hey, hey. So." The the mother and the elders, I guess, just got on a ship and left, right? Yeah, they pieced out. Yeah. Okay. Well, we so, don't really know where so the mother not... went exactly, I don't think, but, but yeah, she was gone. She just, yeah, she just basically didn't write about her anymore, and I was just like, what the yeah. hell happened to the mother? Well. And then we were just gifted all the deaths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. I, I will say, on, on that note, though, I think this book, which is... It's odd that this book is the end of Phase 2 because it really did feel like the spiritual successor to Rising Storm in the second book of the initiative, right? In the second yeah. adult novel. Like, it went darker. It had the, it, it gifted us death, as you said, Wes, and it had all these big things that came to a halt. But then we're not getting a fallen star after to kind of, like, downfall it. Um, so that's just interesting thematically. Again, I think maybe the fallen star will be George Mann's nameless terror or not nameless terror this is comic um eye of the storm novel in phase three maybe we're starting at this kind of point mm. but i think mm. it's weird phase two i think we were all like we either need less of it or more of it and this book i think is the first time where i'm like oh i think you could get probably one more good tragic yeah. novel out of that mm. well wes i think you bring up a good point and eric you can maybe speak towards this a little bit with Path of Vengeance. No spoilers, of course, but, you know, did you guys find it confusing that there were seemingly these major things happening off-screen, if you will, or or off-page, right? Like the mother kind of disappearing. I kind of felt like the Path of the Closed Fist kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, there were some various things like that that were like reference, and it felt like, did I skip a like a couple mm-hmm. pages or a chapter, like when did this come into play? Mm-hmm. And that that character just disappeared. Like there were definitely some moments there. Now we know that Path of Vengeance is going to fill in some of these holes, mm-hmm. right? 
So yeah. but was it confusing to go about it in that way instead of following things in more of a chronological order? Um, so without spoilers, I'll just say, uh, I, I mentioned this in my review actually tomorrow once this is up. Um, there is a lot of timeline overlap with Cataclysm and Path of Vengeance um, and other previous High Republic things. So a lot of the stuff you may be looking for, just read Path of Vengeance. There is a lot of stuff Kevin has said previously uh, publicly, which is why I can say it here, that this book, Path of Vengeance, is Marta Rowe, Yana Rowe, and Maddie from the comic. Their story, they're walking through the events, um, and there's a lot of stuff happening simultaneously as it happens in Cataclysm uh, that will be a lot of stuff like that. So I'll say that for context, um, but I want to leave it to you guys for the confusion element because, again, now that I've read both so recently, I I legitimately have a tough time remembering within which one, so I'm interested to see what it's like having only read the one. I mean, let let me give you a a quick quote as like a reference that came from Bono on page 333, and then I want to hear what you guys have to say, but he said... Or it says, he cared less what had happened to the fallen than about what was to come. Glory through the closed fist. The mother had never appreciated Beneau, and now she wasn't here for him anymore. Forget the past. Marta Rowe had seen the future. And that was like the one time Marta Rowe's name was mentioned in the whole book. And it was directly in conjunction with the path of the closed fist, which all of a sudden Beneau was just talking about. So that's the kind of reference that I'm talking about that was a little bit jarring. And I felt lacked some context. Right. I was I was just going to bring that point up right before you did the quote, Charles. So I, I, I was thinking that maybe I had missed this and maybe another reference to Marta Rowe before this had actually been done. But this was this is very far into the book when they say, yes, Marta Rowe has seen the future. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, crap. Like last time I heard about Marta Rowe was six months ago. Like yeah. you almost like we almost forgot. Um, and that's when I realized, like, where what? What did happen to the mother? What did we not get? But that, I think that helps us kind of want to get into um, the next book to, to know what actually maybe happened to the mother. What, what's going on with Marta Rowe, like you said, Eric? Yeah. So, um, so that, I mean, just those little, putting those little points in there to make you think like, oh, yeah, I remember that these characters are important throughout the, the um, phase two of, of uh, the High Republic, so make sure that you pick up the extra books, comics, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like they're trying to, like, write the expanded universe while the movies are happening a little bit, like, which is ooh, a little challenging, I think. Uh-huh. Like, it's like they they want to fill in the gaps, all this additional story, but, like, these stories have to happen linearly, so, like, if you're not going to put it in one book, like... It's it's a little frustrating to me, and I think this has been the only part about the High Republic that has been challenging for a lot of readers. Is like mm-hmm. you do really feel like you're kind of pulled in a lot of different directions at once, and like I just want I just want the thing I'm reading to be like the thing, you know, for now, and then yeah, let's read the next thing, and it's got its own contained story, and you yeah. know, I feel like it's a little bit of a mistake that the High Republic faces because it's such a large collaborative project that there are all these little tiny little things that have to be put everywhere because like different writers are creating them at the same time in the same overlapping timeline. So um, it's, that's, that's, that's tough, uh, especially seeing how we've had a lot of delays and such with like right, publishes yeah. and stuff. Right. And that's been a big, big challenge. So if they, if they get any closer with some of these books, we're going to be in deep trouble because if they, have to, if <laughs> yeah. one releases when it's not supposed to, it's going to be a disaster. So, yeah, which is not to say like, 
listen, it's in the Star Wars spirit to do things out of order, right? I mean, like from the get go with the New Hope, yeah. but it is yeah. it. There was still structure in that it was you know original trilogy. We jump back in time, we jumped ahead in time, yeah. And now we're talking about overlap between stories within a phase. So now, like even within the phase, things aren't linear. And it, it is confusing, and I think that's why we get so many questions from people about, yeah. hey, how do you tackle the High Republic? Like, right, can you right. start with Phase Two? Like, I, I yeah. mean, it's and it's hard yeah. to answer that. I think it's really yeah. hard to answer that. Yeah, yeah. We I read, mean, we, we read everything. I mean, our team is like, yeah. we read, we read everything and discuss everything literally all day, every single day. This conversation is happening on, yeah. online with us, and it's like even we're confused. So yeah, and even we yeah. are like, hey, how do we like? The High Republic HQ, if you haven't, again, if you haven't gone on utini.com, our High Republic headquarters has a reading order. And with phase two, we're waiting to get to the end because there are some comics issues and stuff like the Battle of Jeddah happened in the audio drama, but also it's been happening in the comic that is still kind of pseudo happening five months later. And there, there's a lot more overlap, confusing. I feel like, in phase two than is in yeah. phase one. So, all that to say, if you are feeling this question, you are not alone. Yeah. A lot of us are feeling it, but that being said, if you do read Cataclysm and Path of Vengeance as kind of companion pieces, there will be a lot of decent overlap that will give you the whole picture, and I'm really interested to hear if folks do them immediately back-to-back, the experience that you have. Please let us know, because I took a little bit of a break between them and didn't know what to expect, but if you go in kind of assuming that there's going to be that overlap, I'm really interested to hear what your experience will be like, and of course, we'll be talking about that in a month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on from that and let's talk a little bit about the Jedi because the Jedi are perfect and they never make any bad decisions and they are all that is good and holy in this galaxy. And that's, that's written in the walls of the temple, actually. That's it, it the banners. Is. They, they say that. You have to say that every morning, like the Pledge of it's Allegiance. It's an Arabesh, but just trust us. Uh, <laughs> Source, bro, trust so, me. So at the end of this novel, I think there was a very specific questionable action of some of the highest of the Jedi. And that was Creighton and Yoda. They met in the archives. They have this hushed conversation as you do in libraries. And they say, you know what? Mom's the word on the nameless. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is it because they didn't know what to call them? I don't know because they don't have names. No, they decided we're not going to tell any of the Jedi about what happened actually on Dalna. So many of these Jedi died. No one needs to know how exactly it happened because we don't fully understand this threat. Is that a mistake? Like, do you see that decision coming back to haunt Yoda in particular? Yeah, bro. <laughs> what, mm. what, what are these arrogant-ass Jedi still doing with this type of conversation? This is so stupid. Anytime this ever happens in any story ever, when someone does not want to tell everybody else about a thing because it'll induce mass panic, it's always a disaster, right? Every right. single time this ever happens, it's the oldest trope ever. To the point that seeing Yoda be the one kind of helping make this decision is is awful <laughs> to me. It's a testament to why the Jedi fell in the first place. Is is mm-hmm. is like this is supremely arrogant. I mean, how could how could the other Jedi knowing about this and and investigating it and trying to solve this problem? How could that possibly be a negative thing? It's just insane to me. Yeah, can I? Can we do a little speculation chat? For a second yes, here, for sure. Yeah, um, Wes, do you have that graphic speculation chat? Can you speculation chat. <laughs> um, so Yoda having this conversation, because I, I agree with everything you said, Corey. It's very arrogant, and is also very reminiscent of Yoda's discussions with Luke in the OT about mm-hmm. how 
you know, he was arrogant, and the Jedi fell, and, oh, he shouldn't be a Jedi. And then Yoda eventually, you know, deals with the responsibility of not seeing the Sith and exile, yada, yada. Like, unfortunately, Yoda goes through this quite a bit. Um, But one of the best parts of Phase 1, for me personally, was the end of Midnight Horizon. After the Battle of Corellia, you know, Yoda comes in. After not being there the whole phase, has that amazing battle sequence. And then he arrives with this figure that is hooded for some reason and says, we have to go back to the past. He literally brings us to Phase 2. So I'm, I'm hoping... That all of this conversation makes sense in Phase 3 because I need Yoda to be – whoever this hooded figure is, whether they're a, a person we've seen in Phase 2 that has lived a long time or knows about the Nameless. If we get the conversation with Yoda saying, I was wrong, I hid this, and that was my mistake, I have now brought forth this person I chatted with or talked to because I knew the Nameless were coming and I did nothing about it. Having that way on Yoda's shoulders, I think that's an interesting story if we get there. We might not, but I think that we and we as Star Wars fans the last kind of 20 years really have really thrived on the Jedi taking responsibility for their mistakes. And I wonder if that we're going to get that Yoda in Phase 3. If we don't, that sucks. Makes... But, like, I think that could be <sighs> where the story might be going. Yeah, that just it just goes to show that Yoda didn't learn from his mistakes. Right. Not that if one. That actually occurs, right? Right, right. Then we have this, you know, the the fall of the Jedi. He does like to like, withhold Yoda, info. dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know he does. I mean, it, it also reminds me of the government and the UFOs. Like, <laughs> there you go. Just let us know. You know what I mean? This is not the Texas. Kind of, just, hey, Texas. Hey, can we go to a West single cam here for a minute? <laughs> this is this tell is us more about podcast West. <laughs> <laughs> okay, UFOs. What? <laughs> They're around, and you're whole withholding, and then you just let it out in the Freedom of Information Act. Come on, it's, it's wait, 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 it's wait, real. Wes. You can't They're talk about the, you can't talk about the UFOs before, before you talk about our supplements that are our sponsors for the episode. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's in them. I ain't lied to government. You, <laughs> I'll tell you what's in the supplements. It's all filler, bro. It's all filler and sugar. That's what makes you crazy. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so you, yeah, Yoda can be a conspiracy on. theorist. That's true, for sure. <laughs> Well, just he wouldn't have to wear a tin hat. Enough. He could just tilt his ears a little bit. But I sure get the tin antennas. So <laughs> the Jedi are wrong. They're going to mess this up. It's fine. We expect that. We expect that from the Jedi at this point, right? right. Um, right. I like what you're saying <laughs> too, Eric. I mean, who is that hooded figure? I, we still don't. We still don't know. We're probably not going to figure it out by the end of this phase either. But. One thing that has been a constant right alongside the Jedi messing everything up is the drama between Iram and Arinel. Yes. And I'm curious for you all, did the drama between those two planets feel important at this point in Phase 2? Like, what did this book do in particular that previous books, chiefly Convergence, did not do for that part of the plot? I was waiting for Corey to no. say no. Okay. <laughs> I can see it. I can see yeah. it. I can see it in your question. You. You're just like, no. The I didn't, answer yeah, I didn't. is no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with that answer, but but I do, in all sincerity, Iron and Arano yeah. are important. We know they're yes. important. They wouldn't spend this much time on them if they're not important. Why, and yet, though? Well, why, are they why is exactly? a good question, and it has to do with something with the fact that Starlight Beacon crashed on Iron. It's with it, Bowie. That's exactly it. it. That's, to do that's with exactly it. 
That's but the only reason anybody cares about these plants is because of the buoys, buoys, which they just quickly rebuilt in a matter of yeah. moments. In this but not, but I, the question is, I mean, this, and, and I want to hear what you're saying, Eric, but yep. they, they, they made a pact through Ziri and Fan 2 in, throughout Convergence, and then we get to this book, and the smallest thing just undid literally all of the progress that happened throughout yep. that book. And then by the end of this book, they were at the same point that they were at the end of Convergence. You know what I mean? So like, it just yep. was like, what is new here? I, nothing. Maybe nothing. I I still yes. am I'm still am yes. in the camp of what are we doing? We had a we had a whole book already about Aram and I, Arano and Iram and how they can't get along, and then they started getting along. Then we went to Jeddah, and now they can't get along again. And here we are in this book, and they can't get along, and then they can't get along again. Like, what is happening? Like, this is not an interesting story. Yeah. Corey, which one is Aram and which one? Dude, is Dude, I don't know. Which one's one's water, water, water and one's the <laughs> desert. I think which I don't one understand. Has sunstones, Corey. It's the wire. No, it's, it's, the, it's the water nation and the fire nation. Like I don't understand. Iram is water because that's what Starlight Beacon fell into. That is the only way I can remember it. Oh um, man, that I wish I would have realized that. Like yeah. this entire Aaron book. no water. That's what the name stands for. Aaron <laughs> no water. I think overall, dramatically, I completely agree. I think that essentially we we have an issue where ever it's it's the Mandalorian season three issue. Uh, that we talked about a couple episodes back. Again, not to bring... That is a wildly divisive season, apparently. Mm. But, like, the problem with The Mandalorian Season 3 for me is that everything that happened at the end of Season 2 immediately got reverted in Season 3. I know. I know. It's so, so it's not good storytelling, yeah. I so don't with, think. So. so with this, I think, yeah, I think this is the issue with this, is that this whole book was about this one thing getting solved, and it was a great ending. And then we come back and said, actually, that doesn't matter. Now! At all. At the, all. <laughs> now, the idea, historically and realistically, that... A peace treaty can actually be probably broken up by anything after after like years of war. That's very realistic because sure. yeah, of course. But as far as storytelling, I think I agree. If you're gonna make me buy into this whole thing, I need to have some actual ramifications. That being said, I do think, and I know I'm, I'm we're doing a lot of like future speculation in this episode, which isn't what you want in a story, but it's also kind of what the High Republic is because we know there's three phases. I think Iram's history and the stuff now we will find out we know about Iram, like, will just pop up in our heads like, oh, I guess I do know about the scorpions and stuff. Like, in phase three, I think that will reveal itself there about like, oh, because I know the history of these two planets, I now know the context of what the Jedi are doing in phase three. However, as of right now, that is unfortunate. This is the pathway that they took to take. Yeah, I just don't think they decided to take I, th- I don't think it really played that big of a role in this story in general, so I'm not really sure why we focused on it so much. Other than the only thing that it really accomplished is that it assembled some of the people together, which is kind of funny, actually. Like that's a great point. <laughs> I think I think we could have done the same thing with with there still being some peace, and then yeah. maybe at the very end, having the path of the open hand come in and actually succeed at causing the war to like reignite, mm-hmm. like in a very big dramatic way, they annihilated a city type of thing. Like that yeah. may have been a little more. Believable. It would have been better, I think, for all of us to go at the end of the book going, damn, there's no recovering from that. There's not going to be any peace. Yeah. No peace. Oh, Goodbye, peace. There it goes. See ya. Like, although <laughs> I, did, I did like, just like um, cinematically, the idea of, oh, they're not together, they're not together. And then like, wait, there's soldiers coming in. What are they? And then it's the soldiers from both. Oh, yeah. That was an that awesome That was good. Yeah. That was good. So, like, that was good for sure. I, and, I, and I think part of me is like, oh, I could have probably not 
we, we didn't really need the peace treaties falling apart again before that. Like, we could have just said, the peace treaty, it worked! They're fighting together! And you still get that epic, you know, it's, it's the Han Millennium Falcon moment, right? It's yep, the, yep. all hope is gone. Wait, what is that? Ship's coming in! Like, that never gets old. Yeah, I think that true. was executed perfectly. That was, that was good. Yeah. That was good. But the whole, to answer your question about the whole convergence versus cataclysm yeah it doesn't help with the same name <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, like very similar names like i can't remember which which book i just read uh convergence or cataclysm and uh to see this never-ending war literally never end and have multiple books focused on that is the point i think but also a little tough sell as, yeah. for, as a, from a storytelling yeah. perspective catavergicalism catavergicalism uh, as the duology shall henceforth be known. <laughs> we so, nailed it. So, you know, we aren't nitpicking at this point because I do oh, want to yeah. reiterate oh, that sure. I think this book was the best of the phase so far. And so oh, I, I want to take a minute. Head and shoulders. And I want to head and Above shoulders. Head, head and, and shoulders. shoulders and elbows too. So up to this point, I want to reflect because we're almost at the end of phase two, right? I want to mm-hmm. reflect up to this point, who are your standout characters for Phase 2? Because we've not been shy about saying we don't care as much about these characters <laughs> as those that we met in Phase 1. So who are the ones, uh, who, whose fate do you need to know, for instance, before we go to Phase 3? Like you mentioned Axel's going to prison. And first of all, I'm glad they didn't uh, just make Axel die to redeem himself. Like, thank you for not doing that. Yep. And usually I would say, oh, well, he went to prison. He's going to come back. He's got to come back because they yeah. didn't kill him off. But probably not. I mean, with with this being this close to the end of the phase, and he would surely be dead by the time phase three rolls around. So who are the people whose fate you do need to know other than Axel? Solandra Show. <laughs> she's my favorite. I think she's uh, – honestly, she's very Loden-esque, I think. Like, she's the good teacher – she fights for defense, um, but she also just has a badass lightsaber shield, which is just cool. And I, I, she's been kind of out of the spotlight, which is interesting. That, like, you know, again, what has she done in Phase 2? I don't know if I could tell you necessarily, but I always really enjoyed when she was on screen, as it were. Uh, so she's weirdly my probably number one standout, in addition to, um, I mean, Marta Rowe. Uh, yeah. I, I think is yeah. up there, but that's almost kind of because of the row lineage. I'm I'm just interested about that thread. Um, but yeah, overall, Slandra is my standout. So shout out to George Mann for, for coming up with that way back in the day. Yeah, I completely agree with the Marta Row. Um, we need to know more about her. How how she forms the the path into uh, the Nile, or if that even happens. You know who we need to figure out is She Hulk herself, Sippa. Sippa was dope. <laughs> the youngling that she was uh, dope. She was really dope. I had a great that time. Yaddle was yes. She was just she would pick levitate people, pick them up, and basically smash them together. Yeah. And she would like in, in the in the in the book, she would like Yaddle was, was looking like where is Sippa? Where is Sippa? And then she see like bodies being just tossed. Throughout yeah. the forest or whatever, and you're like, "What is the hell is going on?" Like, she's just like, "I'm just trying to help." And you're like, right. "Oh man, what does she turn into? Yeah. A toddler <laughs> with the force? Like the most terrifying thing Who ever?" Is also, like a sociopath and can kill people. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all toddlers. Yeah, but like her her keen force ability is levitation. Yeah. So like 
if she like really focuses on that and like builds that strength up, like can she levitate? I don't know, starships out of the sky. Starlight <laughs> beacon out of Irem? <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, no. oh, my God. <laughs> Those are her force powers. <laughs> Levitation. That's it. We did it. Levitation and hatred of root vegetables. That's Sippa yes. in a nutshell. I hate radishes. I hate yes. radishes, right. too. Yeah. No, big though. And she was great, though, because we also got her being a kid, but then also seeing death through the eyes of a child, I think was very sobering. Using her, like being Lou. like, hey, Lou hey, yeah, hey, Star Wars fans, you love this, right? Lightsaber fights, blasters. Remember, there are children here that just saw someone that's no, never going to move again. And I was like, oh, right, damn, okay, yep, mm hmm, mm hmm, thank you. It's dark. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> never going to move again. Mm-mm. Yeah, I like. I think there's ultimately three characters that I I have any a, a, attachment to whatsoever in this series so you're in phase uh phase two almost did a thing again We're you did it no you one. nailed it you did it buddy oh man yeah i like ziri and fan two a lot they're i feel now invested in their they're story great. because we followed yeah. them for so long um and uh i am also interested in the mother i feel like that's the story that we have to get to if yeah. we make it all the way into the phase and we still haven't like totally told us everything we need to know eric is trying to not smile so much then uh you know i think uh it's that book, isn't it? It's that book, isn't it? All right, moving on. Path of Vengeance coming All out right, tomorrow. Read it. Everywhere we need to go. <laughs> yeah, Argo's not up yet. Yeah. <laughs> I like. Giant I like all of your answers. I'm gonna add in Kyung, Greylark, because she made a really, really, really big sacrifice in this book. Obviously, whether or not we agree with it, that's a different question. But I mean, right. I'd like to see where that lands her. Like, was it worth it? Where where does her story go from this point? So, I liked her a lot. Now, great. on that note, sorry, Eric, do you have something else? No, I was gonna, it was great. I, I I like that you know, ending on that point is, is a great idea, Charles, because I I agree we have been you know less complimentary of the phase as a whole. Like, do we have like the Stellan Geos, Elzar Man, Avar Chris level characters? Probably not. But I think like when you think about it, there really are these people that have hit us and be like oh i would like to know that and i really do think that phase two is is interesting in that way that there's going to be a lot of stuff that happened here that is retroactively going to hit me i think that's mm-hmm. where i'm feeling um ooh, sorry real quick before charles i do want to address one thing in the chat jared asks um how important is it to be caught up on the comic before path of vengeance um great question because there are a lot of characters in cavin's higher public comic that are going to be in path of vengeance the real answer is I'm not sure, but I'll tell you why, because I have not been super invested in the comic despite having read it. I didn't have any trouble picking up the comic, or, or picking up Path of Vengeance, rather. So even if you haven't read it, I think there's a good introduction. Obviously, as with any High Republic, you're going to get more if you are caught up, but there are certain events in the comic that are spoiled through Path of Vengeance by finding out people that might be alive, by finding out things that may have happened. So Path of Vengeance takes you beyond where the comic is at this point. So, if you don't want to be spoiled for any of the comic issues, make sure you're caught up um, with the live issues. But if you're not caught up and want to dive into Path of Vengeance, you won't have trouble. Lovely. And, and just to put a bow on the point that you made, Eric, I, I do think this phase as a whole, phase two, and we'll discuss this in retrospect after we finish Path of Vengeance, its job is not heavy lifting of characters. I think it's heavy lifting of plot. 
right? So yes. it's so. not really surprising yeah. that these characters may not stick with us the same way as Phase 1. Phase 1 was a lot of character building, a lot of what is going on, right? And then this is yep. just, this entire phase is trying to fill in the gaps and explain what is yeah. going on. But the characters we know are going to go away. So whether yep. they die or not. They yep. all die. They all die. <laughs> One of them might be under a cloak with Yoda, I assume. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> like, who's um, to say? Well, let's go ahead and get through some Easter eggs here, guys, because that's really the last thing to yeah, wrap up Yeah, there's some up good here. ones. There are some good ones. Um, so let's start with page 13. Bakura, the planet, is mentioned. The same planet from the infamous True Sip Bakura by Kathy Freddy! Tires. Yeah, Freddy C. paid somebody off. For sure. For sure. <laughs> On page 18, Sheraden, which is a, another planet, is mentioned. And that's the same planet where Jedi Master Skier took Keeve Trennis for her Jedi trials. Oh, with the bugs. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of bugs, on page 21, the biting midge, which is an insect, is mentioned. And this is presumably the same thing as a midge fly, which is a flying insect first mentioned from the third book of the Bounty Hunter Wars Hard Merchandise by K.W. Jeter. And in that novel, Boba Fett was told his ship wasn't in the condition to even blow away a midge fly. That's for you, Jared. Right there. We got two Legends lookbacks in the first three Easter eggs. Look at that. Right. That is so obscure. Um, <laughs> obscure, if you will. Obscure. Page 52. Two of the four moons of Coruscant are mentioned by name. Hesperidium and Syntax 2. Can anyone name the other two moons? Syntax 1. And Titan. <laughs> Hesperidium <laughs> 2. No, it's so close. <laughs> Syntax 2 and Syntax 3. Yep. Yep. There you go. All right. Fair. On page 59, Yaddle's youngling Sippa, who we were just talking about, is noted to be Arcanian. And this is actually the first canon appearance for this entire species. But it oh, wow. was previously mentioned, just in name, in the DJ Most Wanted comic series. Never made an appearance, though, until now. But they are in Legends. This extremely arrogant species, white eyes, white hair, um, in the Tales of the Jedi, Knights of the Old Republic, a lot of the different series. Basically, it is a, an exact pull from Legends, but um, wow. now we're finally seeing them in canon. And it's a cool species. Awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm, awesome. I'm actually excited to see more of them. Is that from, is that the one of the specialists from Battlefront 2? I no. don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. Okay. It also kind of sounds like Ardenian, which it's is not. from Solo. It's different <laughs> right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It says yeah. that the, the Wikipedia page says they consider themselves the pinnacle of evolution. <laughs> okay. I said arrogance. Infrared but... eyes. But yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I don't, of, uh, so. Fans of eugenics and wear little red patches on their left arms. But, it, you know, there's Uh-oh. lots of lots of little. <laughs> I can't believe you said eugenics on the podcast. I know. We're going to be a doc now. <laughs> Supplements! Supplements! I don't, I don't know what <laughs> Frank <laughs> Thomas has to do with this. but We're right. trying to get sponsors, guys. Come on. On, on page 62, Creighton's son tells Ada Forte to punch it. Right? Classic. On page oh, 64, That's an easter egg for this show because I tell Wes to punch yes, it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Wes, you're henceforth from. known as Ada. <laughs> That's it. Oh, no. Hey, he did it! <laughs> All right, on page 64, Lamite is mentioned, and that's the ore that's needed to make transparent steel, which is basically Star Wars reinforced glass, right? And it was first Mm -hmm. mentioned in Tarkin by James Luceno as it was an export from Tarkin's homeworld of Iriadu. Now, Iriadu, Iridu. Iridu. 
However you say it, let's, you. let's take a break. Let's take a break for a second from the regularly scheduled programming to okay. shout out some of the best quotes from Jedi in this Ooh. novel. And quite frankly, yes, that I think we've gotten in a while. We didn't shout this out. Liddy Kang wrote Jedi very well. <coughs> On yes. page 67, Charo Roy says, Wars can end in peace despite unforgivable atrocities. Relationships are harder to repair after even the smallest of slights. Ooh. Right? I got the woo. Mm, well I got man. the woo. The Ric Flair from Eric. Mm-hmm. Master Shaw Roy has clearly never been to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On page 85, Master Roy also says this. A clever person carries options with them like tools. You cannot assume a hammer will fix all broken things. It's good. Another good you sound, one. You sound like, Charles, you better uh, carry these. These might be some uh, Utini's nominations later in the I, year. I know. I know. Thank goodness I don't delete these Google Docs. That is helpful. <laughs> and on page 342, Yaddle says, There is no losing until there is nothing worth saving. Mm. And that feels like a Clone Wars little fortune cookie from the beginning. That sounds like yeah. big, uh, big Giannis after game six energy right there. That is That's true. That There's no like. losing in sports. Yes. Nope. Except when you don't win. <laughs> All right, back to Easter eggs. On page 101, <laughs> we get this quote. The other pirates were playing a card game in the belly of the ship, smoking herbs that smelled like pepper and drinking clear spirits. Oh, I'm sorry. We're smoking herb now in Star Wars? <laughs> Is that what just happened? Forget, forget about the death sticks. We got that good good going on in this pirate <laughs> yeah. ship right yes. now, y'all. See, and, then, and then 200 so years later, is- they're on meth. As we heard about in the yes, Nile. Exactly. So there we go. It evolved. <laughs> Gateway drugs are real, kids. Oh, dear. That is what this is actually all about. Okay. <laughs> Smash drugs. Bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> drugs. On page 107, a prayer drugs. from the Guardians of the Wills is displayed. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. On page 109 and 111, hot noodle soup is mentioned, followed by oh, a God. noodle shop. So noodle gang unite. <laughs> Oh, Again. noodles. Again. <laughs> wow. Oh, like that, has been a while. Like that one bit. On page 113, <laughs> a Zygerian energy whip is mentioned, a.k.a. an electro whip. That's the chosen weapon of the Zygerian slavers that was uh, heavily featured in the Clone Very Wars good. TV show. Very good. Awesome. A very ethically important episode of yes. Clone Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah. surprising that they even went there, to be honest. Yeah. Seriously. On page 123, Juven, which is a medicine, is mentioned, and that's the Bactic precursor, essentially, that was featured in Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Awesome. On page 125, we get another quote here. You know what they say about space roaches, Ziri smirked. For every one you see, there are a million you don't, so you might as well torch your ship. I hate that. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the nightmares. Don't like that at all. Dude, I was sounds like earth roaches. I was working yes, in a hospital. Yes. <coughs> I was working in a hospital a couple weeks ago. It was dead quiet, and I was working on a computer, and I hear this. Nope. <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And I looked down, and I didn't see anything. And then a few minutes later, out of the corner of my eye, I see movement, and I looked down. Freaking huge cockroach, bro! In a hospital, a hospital. Nope. All right. Yeah, torch I saw it. You got to torch the hospital. It was terrible. I saw that. I saw the guy that sprays for him later on. I was like, hey, do this for him. <laughs> anyway, that was your story of the, of the evening. Sorry, well, Sorry if y'all are that. eating while you're listening to this. It was on page 129, this is probably my favorite one. 
out of the whole out of all the Easter eggs. Page one twenty nine, a pet Sheffy is mentioned. Okay, now this is a furry creature that first appeared in The Last Jedi. There was a patron on Canto Bite that was holding one. And it wasn't actually identified as a Sheffy until the video Every Creature in the Star Wars movie was released by the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel in 2019. This is so cute. I just Googled it. It is very it's cute. So you should look kind of, it's like kind of gross, but also cute, which is great Star Wars. Like that, that middle ground. Indeed. Indeed. That's great. Star Wars nerds on Wikipedia are truly incredible, to be honest. Yes, they are. Sensational. <laughs> None of this is possible without just, Wikipedia. I just don't understand. Like, the, the, the deep cuts is just impressive. I, just when you type in, when you try to look up Sheffy, make sure you put Star Wars, because I, I get this guy. Okay. This guy. <laughs> Who is we don't this? want that. <laughs> it's it's Yosi Sheffy. Duh. All right, go ahead. All right. Interesting. All right, page 131, a Chatez board, which is a tabletop strategy game, is featured. And this first appeared in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath Empire's End, but it subsequently made appearances in Star Wars Squadrons, the 2017 Darth Vader Annual Number 2, which was also written by Wendig, and now The High Republic. Excellent. It's not just Sabacc anymore. On page Many games. Oh, actually, Eric, this is going to be your favorite. Uh, this is going to be your favorite Easter egg. On right, page one thirty-seven, Jelukani Fogstone is mentioned. Oh yeah, and of course, that's a type of stone from the planet Jelukin, which is the home planet of both Sienna Ree and Thane Kyrell from Claudia Gray's Lost Stars. Wow! But in Claudia Gray's other novel, which is the first time Jelukani, uh, not her only other novel, just to be clear, one of her other novels. The first time that Jelukani Fogstone was brought into canon, it was mentioned as the material that made up the statue of Bail Organa outside the senatorial complex on Hosnian Prime. Let's go! Yes. Holy crap. Yes. Awesome. Is that also is his statue like like a Jordan statue? Like he's dunking on someone? Is that the statue like an action shot of Bail? It's probably him. Should be. He's like probably dunking with like the Star Wars equivalent of the Declaration of Independence on Palpatine. Like just God. Oh my God! I need it. I need it. Someone make it. Someone forge that. The the list that they all signed, where they put all their names in the paper. Oh Oh, yeah, the doc. uh, Some about the three hundred or yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. The people Uh, who hate Palpatine. Yes. Protest. Yes. (laughs) We hate Palpatine Club. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. All right, on page 137, Tenu, which is a planet, is mentioned, and that's the same planet that some of the characters from Young Jedi Adventure series that just started for the High <gasps> Republic go to. Yes! Um, on page 141, Sholstein is mentioned. This is his first appearance in canon, but it seems like it's a direct continuation of Sholstein V from Legends, which is this astronomical object created by Jason Fry for the Star Wars role-playing game in 2004, but furthermore, Sholstein is mentioned as being on the Perlemian trade route, which was one of the earliest hyperspace lanes to ever be discovered, according to legends. So, wow. nice pull yeah. there, because the High Republic <laughs> is all about hyperspace you know, prospecting, right, right. right? And this was one of the earliest yeah. ones. Sick. Yeah. Page 182, we get the obligatory Tukacat reference. Seriously, Good. when is the last Star Wars book we had without a Tukacat reference? Need them all. Need them all. Uh, let's see. 196, page 196, Tip Yip is mentioned. That's Endorian Chicken. That's also been a Delicious. really popular reference recently. Yep, you can buy it at Galaxy's Edge. It's great. Yep. 
On page 223, several planets are, are, are plants, excuse me, not planets are mentioned, including Scarlet's Queen Heart, which is the red ornamental flower that is growing on all the buildings in Thede in the Phantom Menace. Oh, sure. Um, so that was a, a nice pull there. On page 263, Lou Sweet sounds like Corey Helton when he said, Shields are down, everything is down, the ship is trash. <laughs> <laughs> We all thought of you. I really, I really did. <laughs> ship is trash. The ship is ship trash. trash. <laughs> Everything's down sh- trash all the time. That was that was That's Corey. Hilarious. Literally, the first half hour was trying to do the stream this tonight. Which is like Everything's <laughs> down. down. Everything's down. <laughs> ship is trash. <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty funny, man. <laughs> all right, you can use that forever now. And uh, then our last reference, our last Easter egg, page 339, Kyung Greylark says, the only reason to shoot with a goal of maiming is to get information that will turn the tide of this battle. I'm talking groin shots and limbs so they can keep talking. And that's not even an Easter yo, egg. I was just like, what? Man. Groin? You're asking groin for shot. groin shots? Um, what if I told you Kyung Greylark's got that dog in her, man? I'm not, I'm not coming after you if you give me a groin shot. She got that target like, in her, bro. Whatever you want to know. What do you want to know? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? That, that and a broken femur, and I'll tell you anything. Open book. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all, all we've got. If I missed your favorite Easter egg, please drop it in the chat. Let us know. Um, otherwise, that's it, guys. Let's, let's kind of go back around, give any final thoughts you have on the book, and then we'll close this thing out. I'm going to give this book a, a 9.0 on the scale. Bring it back! <laughs> we don't do that anymore, Wes! Now we're, now oh, we're, yeah, no. now we're communists with our, store, with our right. scores, right? <laughs> Tier! They're, all, the, they're all equal. It doesn't matter if they're good or if they're bad. They're equals. Yeah. I, we needed this book, yes. I think. I think I we needed this book for, yep. for, uh, for Phase 2, and I'm glad that um, it, it kind of ended the way it did because it left doors open, but it didn't actually reveal anything. Um, I, I don't think or what's coming for us in phase three. Right. This one kept my focus better than pretty much every other one that we've had so far in this phase. Uh, I think it's a big step in the right direction. I can't wait for the last couple here. And uh, we are really winding down on phase two, guys. It's uh, coming to a close quite soon, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. Um, agree. This was the adrenaline shot that I needed in this phase. I, I really enjoyed reading every bit of it. Um, excited for everyone else to get into Path of Vengeance. And then the the manga, I forgot, it's actually the epilogue. Um, DJO called it, but it's kind of like the ending of the phases in the manga Edge of Balance. Um, I'm sure you can read Path of Vengeance in this and be done, but only a couple projects left. But overall, I was really happy we got this, and I'm really happy that Lydia Kang is in Star Wars, and I hope she gets to do more if she likes this kind of thing. If she had a good time, you know, um, we'd welcome her back. But yeah. It, it's nice when an initiative kind of rises near the end because I think it gives us great momentum. So really, really had a great time, and I'm so so glad because, yeah, we, we like Wes said, we needed this. Yeah, I agree. Bring Lydia Kane back. Uh, I think she did a really good job with this. And it, and it is really hard. I think we underestimate what it probably is like to be an author in this initiative, especially coming into an initiative at this point. Right, like this is there's so yeah. much that came before that you're having to seamlessly put yourself into, right, to keep things moving in the right direction. And I think she definitely accomplished that. So um, best of phase two thus far, but we'll see what Kevin brings starting tomorrow. Absolutely. So on that note, Eric, take us home, my friend. 
You got it, man. Charles, well done as always. Uh, Y'all, that was a good old-fashioned Charles roundtable. Get ready for another subpar one by me, which is going to be Path of Vengeance is the next one. Um, so <laughs> stay tuned. And then a month, a month-ish, we'll keep you posted. But uh, let us know your thoughts about Cataclysm in the comments or in our Discord, anywhere we are. We want to know how you liked this book and what it did for you in Phase 2. Uh, but for now, that is going to do it. For this episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, a special thank you goes out, of course, to Brian Dooley, Earl Q, Carl Sander, and Zach W. on our Jedi High Council. And James T., Ashley Ingalls, Colton Fife, and Chris Carrizo on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at Corey M. Helton. Charles is at C. Ankle. And Wes is at Boss West. And we are at Living Force Pod. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for potting me tonight. Thanks to all of you for hanging out. May the 4th be with you on Thursday. And as always, well, may the 4th be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.